Let's do a Michigan Deer Drive. I'm your host, Jordan Risky of the Nimrod Podcast, brought to you by Risky Outdoors. We are now live on iTunes, so get over, subscribe, leave us a comment, give us a good rating. We would appreciate it. We have a very exciting episode for you guys as we bring on Wade Childs, a very established Michigan deer hunter, harvesting, I think it was five Pope and Young whitetails in the state of Michigan, harvesting a deer 159 inches, I believe, and also talks about hunting a deer that scored well over 180 inches. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into this and get Wade on the line. All right, well, we got our good buddy, Wade, on the phone. Um, so, yeah, Wade, go ahead, introduce yourself, kind of how you got into hunting, and just a little bit about you and, yeah, the best hunt you've ever been on. All right, uh, my name's Wade Childs. I grew up uh Jackson County, Michigan, uh, kind of what I feel is the heart of some good deer country for the state. Um what got me into hunting would definitely, definitely be my dad. Um, I have pictures of myself and him um, shooting a bow in the yard when I was 17 months old. I don't think I could formulate sentences to tell him that uh, I wanted to watch Power Rangers or do something other than that. So I was pretty much <laughs> destined to be a bow hunter. I didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, it actually worked out pretty good because it's absolutely my obsession. It's it's all I think about all the time. You could ask my girlfriend. She is quite <laughs> upset about it. But <laughs> it is what it is. You know, I'm, I, I introduce myself. Um, how I'm Wade. I'm a bow hunter. And, and that's just, that's who I am. That's, so That's awesome. <laughs> and I, I'm right there with you. I eat, sleep. That's all I think about. And you and I kind of chat on and off um, throughout the year, just kind of talking different things and, it's it's what it's what we are. It's who we are. Obsession is a good name for it. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so so you're getting your girlfriend involved, right? Yeah. Um, the last two years, she's been uh, she she deer hunted with me two seasons ago. Now I think she started in seventeen and uh, hunted some last year. It seems that she is really good at bringing in rainstorms. Uh, <laughs> every time we go out and. And, but she does good. She's a trooper. She sticks with it. Um, really, we still have trying to get her her first uh, first archery kill. Um, we did shoot um, a heck of a turkey last year um, that she killed. Uh, four beards, 31 and a half inches of beard. Just ridiculous. Um, so she's got that one on me. I haven't killed a turkey with more than one beard in my life. So uh, she likes to remind me. Um, quite a bit that she's a better turkey hunter and walleye fisher than I am. Wow, that's a good <laughs> way to start out as a four-bearded turkey. That's a good way to start out the, yeah. the hunting career. Downhill now. Yeah, absolutely. I told her that. I'm just I'm not even going to turkey hunt anymore because I'll never <laughs> beat it. So. That's awesome. Wade, Wade was, she into, was she into hunting before you, you got met and everything? Um, she was into into it some. She would do some fishing and some, and some hunting. Um, I think she is definitely more into it now. But uh, she definitely had her feet wet when, when she met me. So, so nice. Solid. So, yeah, so you've killed a pretty good buck in Michigan. Will you tell us a little bit about that, kind of the year that you shot it, bow or gun? Just kind of walk us through. Okay. Um, my biggest Michigan deer um, it was a 159 and 3.8. Uh, he was a 12-point. Um, that's definitely a gross score. He's a 7 by 5 
uh, broken left brow tiner, you would have broke the 160 mark, um, which would be awesome. We we don't uh, we don't care about net or anything like that. We 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 want to know how much horns on their head. Absolutely, I agree with you. So (laughs) so yeah, he was he was 159. Um, I actually shot him with a muzzle loader opening morning of gun season, which is probably the saddest part of the story, considering I'm such a diehard bow hunter. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I, I, it's been um, 11 years ago now, I think, or 12 that I killed him. So it's been a little while, and I've done a lot of learning since then. But, you know, he did teach me some things about what, you know, big deer tendencies, and and I can always look back on that and, and – one of my big philosophies of big deer is is their tendency to do the same thing twice and i think a lot of people will disagree with that but the first time i saw this deer was a week before i killed him out of the spot that i killed him in the second time i saw this deer it was pouring down rain and the landowner wanted some help setting up his gun blind so my father and i hopped in his truck drove back and we were driving out you know, half an hour before dark on like November 13th, (laughs) (laughs) pouring down rain. I look over and there he is standing there in the woods, you know, 15 yards off the two track. So this Mm. deer, you know, he definitely knew there was people around. There was, there was hunting presence. And, you know, in my opinion, he, he knew how to beat it, you know, And, and he had lived five years in the state of Michigan. And, and because of that, I just, went back to that same location and I put a heck of a shot on him and, and, you know, the rest is history. And it was pretty much pure luck that I even hit the thing, but you know, that's that, you know, feeds into my, my scouting philosophy and and how I like to, you know, get after these, these big deer. To that, to that point, Wade, um, for your scouting philosophy, if you will, can you kind of talk more about that? I know you had mentioned luck, but I don't believe in luck. Luck is really just capitalizing opportunity uh, of the preparation. So can you kind of share more about that scouting preparation and strategy? Yeah, I like, I like to, I I would say as far as scouting and and the luck tendency thing, um, if anybody's listened to like Don Higgins, he's, he's really big on, um, a big deer will do the same thing on the same date every year. So a big deer does something on November 10th, you know, the 9th through the 11th, the next year he's going to do it again. And, and, you know, talking with some buddies across the U S that are all diehard bow hunters, we've all kind of seen this, this ten, this trend and this tendency, um, for deer to do something like that. And, and I always have, you know, this obsession of deer. So I'm always thinking about them. So I'm always thinking about what they've done in the past and how, leads into how I can get on them and get close to them. And I think within the last, you know, two or three years, it's really helped, um, help me get shot opportunities. Um, so it's something that I, I definitely will continue to pay attention to and implement in my strategies in the future. For sure. For sure. And I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like a big deer will do the same thing over and over i mean they they live because i believe they do that or they are consistently in the same area for example like this year i jumped a really good buck on our our new ground and i went back in there like a week later with my buddy jake and uh set set jake up in a stand and i kind of walked around I, i wasn't trying to bump this deer out of his bed we were trying to kind of set up around him 
Um, we had a good west wind. Jake was going to sit up on the north end of him, and I was kind of good on the east end of this deer. And I bumped him, and he ran, did a big circle, and Jake literally just got up in his stand and wasn't wasn't fully ready, and this deer ran right by him. And this, it's just because I, I knew he was there. He, he did a big loop and just went right back to that same exact spot. Yep, and, and that's another thing. You know, I'm not afraid to, to push it on a deer. And that's, that's hunting private, that's hunting public. If I know a deer is in somewhere, I'm going to go try to kill him. I don't sit back and wait for, oh, it's 32 degrees on November 2nd, I can finally go in there. I'm a true believer that if a deer is in a spot, he is in that spot for a reason. And if you jump him and he runs away and he's safe, that deer beat you. Yeah. So that deer is going to go back to that spot. There's a reason he's there. Yeah. And, and I know you can't do it a bunch of times. And obviously you can't just continually go in there and push him and push him. But one bump to let you know where he's at, that doesn't scare me at all. Yeah. So how, why do you think, why do you think that, or how do you think that deer got to that age in Michigan? Because, I mean, we grew up in the same area, and people that deer management is not it. It doesn't exist um, in, in the area that we are in. Uh, granted, there are some guys that that really really try to do it, but in in general, I mean, we filmed Jake and I filmed a buck this year, and he was ended up getting killed almost a mile from where we filmed them. They they don't stay in that area all the time, so. How do you think he managed to stay alive for that long? Because especially at a younger age, he's traveling a way more than he was at five and a yeah. half. I mean, I think a lot of that is going to have to do with just simply the section that that deer grew up in. It's it's just full of, of swamp grass and brush. And if it's, if it's in hardwoods, generally it's ridges and you know those deer are traveling ridges and they're going into the thick stuff so yeah i think the i'm sure he was shot at i'm sure he was seen i'm sure he was hunted you know he didn't just come out of the woodwork but i think a lot of it has to do with where he lived that allowed him to get older not necessarily you know the same amount of hunting pressure from spot to spot but this this particular section that i hunt you know can hide the deer and i think that plays into a lot of it yeah. So when not like leading into that, so like what what do you look for in an area, particular Michigan, when when you're looking for a big deer? Because everyone that we're talking to so far, it's it's exactly kind of what you're saying. Where you found this deer? Wet, tall grasses, cover. Yep. I certainly think that you know the cover has a lot to do with it. Um, it's it's definitely something I'm looking for is is bedding areas. This. This farm that I hunt, it kind of has like it's like a long, skinny agricultural area with big woods on either side of it, and along the east side has like a big ridge, and those deer like to lay just over the crest of those ridges, mm-hmm. and that's those you know those trails coming down the ridges or the saddles between them. That's where I'm finding myself to be at more so than in like the swamp grass areas and the thick areas <clears throat> just because my access to getting to those bucks is is better in those saddles because i can come in below them or beside them where they can't see me as opposed to if i'm trying to hunt these these low thick areas they're going to see me getting in there so gotcha. so i'm primarily here i'm 
these spots I'm looking for ridge bedding, truthfully. <laughs> gotcha. That's interesting. So when you're, I know you do a lot of like out of state hunting too. So just, uh, I mean, our focus is Michigan, obviously, because that's where yep. we all grow up and that's what we love. But for that guy that's looking to go out of state, um, Sonner and I do it a little bit and a couple other guys, but what is it that you really look for when you're when you're looking at out of state, whether it's yeah, Midwest or wherever? Um I would say the the biggest thing I'm looking for I like I really like, you know, the Onyx maps, the 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 um GIS mapping, uh, something that shows me you know, the actual property layouts. And if I'm looking at public land, like last year I killed a really great buck in Missouri public land and I scouted these areas out and I had some local guys, you know, that kind of knew and pointed me in somewhat of the right direction, but I'm finding areas of public that are, you know, big areas, but adjacent to those on private is like a big section, you know, something that, is probably going to have less hunters on it than a bunch of small stacks of segments that border some public or yeah, that border some public. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I kind of get an idea of where I'm going, I'm just, I'm obsessed over looking at maps. It's, it's just all I do is Google maps is like my biggest tool of planning out of state spots. I just, just stare them down all the time. I pick out, you know, subtle terrain changes and, and, you know, like a drainage ditch that in, you know, a topographic map might not show like in Missouri where I, where I killed was relatively flat, but I could see this feature on Google maps that looked like a dry Creek bed. And I walked in there one afternoon and sure enough, it was a dry Creek bed. I climbed up the tree right next to it. And two sets later, you know, I had a buck on the ground and I had seen three shooters. So it, you know, it's, Looking out of state, I'm looking for for big tracks, and I'm looking for adjacent tracks to also be big, with you know cover and hard to access. Gotcha. That's what everyone everyone's saying is like hard to access, especially when it comes to public land. And that's something that I I haven't done in Michigan. And you had you kind of had a killer year this year, right? I did. Yeah, I killed uh, I killed the best buck of my life, uh, one sixty nine. And then Jeez. I killed that one that was just shy of 130 in Missouri Public uh, three days later. So wow. We're both in really Missouri? Good, I'm sorry, what was that? We're both in Missouri? No, the first one uh, was in Illinois. Okay, man. So, well done. It was a good week at, or week-long trip, yeah. Um, <laughs> Michigan, Michigan this year was, was sort of slow. I uh, saw a few shooters, mostly trying to get Julia at her buck, so kind of hunting some spots that are easier for her to climb and, you know, doing that thing, the good boyfriend thing. Um, (laughs) Smart. But, uh, you know, last year I I, I definitely hunted, or I guess it would be two years ago now, so 2017, I had three Michigan encounters that were, you know, set them up, knock them down encounters that I should have killed, and I I whiffed on three shots and three bucks and, and... so I kind of deserve to get punched in the gut this year by Michigan, and, and I did. So, <laughs> Well, you, you did something that, like, I've been trying to do for a long time is kill a whitetail on public land. Yep. And that, yep, that was, that was my first as well, so I was very proud of it. Walk us through that. Um, so 
have several really good friends in Missouri that have been begging me, you know, for several years to come hunt. And so this year I decided, you know, I'm finally going to go, go hunt with them. I'm seeing all these bucks that they're killing year after year, you know, and I find this, this public ground, another buddy and, and myself find this section of public ground and, and, you know, we loaded up and headed down there and we walked in not knowing what we were going to be looking at. We had stands on our backs and bows in our hands, you know, and it was just, we're going to go get after it. It was the last week of October. So I think our first day of hunting there was the 29th of October. Um, and we had seen some, you know, saw some does and some small bucks the first day. Um, and then the, the second day we moved to a, a different section, um, kind of the one that we we're looking at on the map. So we had a better wind to just to get in there and, and see what it was like. Um, and like I said, I found that creek bed. I walked through it, walked through it. And it was like the only feature for four to 500 yards of just solid old growth timber. And I set up on it and every year I saw a travel deck creek bed. And what was pretty cool about that hunt, um, it was the, the morning that I sat. I killed him on uh, Halloween morning. And it had just broken daylight. And I see this buck walking down this, this opposite side of this creek bed. And he's like 65, 70 yards in this timber. And I grabbed all the grunt, dude. I hit him with two soft grunts and, and got him to turn. And he comes right straight across this creek bed. And I had ranged him. I ranged this big oak tree that was in there. And he stopped right in front of this oak tree and... and you know, four or five more steps, he's going to get my wind. So I'm, I'm at full draw. He goes to take one more step, and I hit him with a way too hard grunt stop. That was just <laughs> stupid for me. Like the excited one, huh? Yeah. Yeah, oh, the excited one. So he locks it right up, and, you know, I settled the, settled the pin, let her eat, and by the time my arrow got there, that deer spun completely out of the way. And... <laughs> I had, I had texted my, like, my knock didn't go off. So, so this is relatively early in the morning, so it's still not super light out. But I had texted my buddies. I'm like, hey, I might have just shot one. It sounded like it hit him. I, I don't really know. Um, I'm like, I'm going to get down in 15 minutes when it gets good and light out and walk over to this, to this arrow and see what I can see because I had no idea. So it gets light out. I climb down. There's this little ditch that's right next to my tree, and it runs right to that tree that, that this deer was at, like this little drainage. I'm talking like a foot or two deep at the most. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in this ditch, and I'm, I'm walking it through this. T- I mean, all it is is like a washout. There's nothing to it other than that. But I walk it over to this tree, and there's my arrow jammed in the bottom of that big oak tree, clean miss. So I wiggle it a couple times. It doesn't want to pop out. I'm like, screw it. I'm going to get back up in the tree. I'll deal with this later. So I walk the ditch back to the tree. I climb up, strap in, pull my phone out to text my buddies, you know, don't come because they were all going to load up and come down and help me. I can't even get a text message out that I missed. And I look up and here comes that deer right back to me. And so I'm loading an arrow up at the same time. I'm trying to jam my phone in my pocket and he crosses that Creek and he stops dead smack in front of that same Oak tree. And I draw back, and this time he's got my ground sense. So he stopped on his own, and he's just got his head down smelling it. I draw back and put the pin right on him and put one right through his lungs, and I watched him die at 40 yard, in 40 yards. That is nuts. <laughs> so so I, climb, 
I climbed down and I'm kind of in disbelief, you know, that I had just accomplished this. So I walk over to the big tree um, where he was standing and my bloody arrow and my missed arrow are six inches apart. That's crazy. <laughs> unbelievable. What a so story. The only, the only thing that I could figure from that was that this deer heard the grunts when he came in the first time, never really knew what happened on the shot. He had just kind of boogered out of there, and then he heard me walking, and he came back to check it out. And that's the only thing that I can I can piece together. Thinking you were a deer back in there. Yep, yep. Coming back to see what it was that grunted at him in the first place. It was a span of about fifteen minutes. So he he went over to some brush, you know, just the other side of this dry creek bed I keep talking about, and he was maybe one hundred fifty yards away, I would bet. And how he didn't see me, maybe because I was in that ditch or or what, but. I'm telling you, he came right back to the same spot. And that, you know, just another piece of evidence of these deer doing these tendencies that just, you know, drives me to drives me to pursue that, you know, that pattern. Hey, Wade, were you guys seeing, like, a ton of rut, rut activity and stuff down there? I know, you know, Halloween's pretty pretty good time up this way, but down in Missouri, I'm thinking maybe he was pretty aggressive, pissed off at other, other bucks around and stuff like that. Were you guys seeing a lot of rut activity? Yeah, we... We definitely saw some, um, we saw some bucks, um, fighting the first night. Um, my buddy and I actually, we had sat the same tree that night just because we were trying to get a feel for things. And, and this really nice, like three year old eight point ended up coming and walking right by after he, you know, kicked this year and a half or two and a half year old buck out and we grounded him right in. And it was kind of one of those borderline bucks that, um, that we just passed on, but, we never really saw the, the super hard chasing at that point. I, I think that it was more, the, the plan was to go there for the pre-rut just because that's my favorite time of year. And, you know, that's what we wanted to go hunt. And I think we were just a few days early um, to see that hardcore chasing. But, uh, you know, so I, I did stay in camp for the rest of the week um, for like four or five more days. And, you know, another guy in camp from New York shot a great buck. Um, he was chasing does. So, you know, we, we would have seen it had I been in the woods, but, you know, I was tagged out and, you know, just pretty much being the camp chef at that point. <laughs> That's a good problem. Yeah, it, it didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Go ahead. You had I was going to say, so to that point, Wade, what is your favorite time of year? I think you may have alluded to it, um, but what is your favorite time of year of, uh, of year to hunt? Um, it's absolutely going to be, like, October 25th to the 31st um and then if i could i would skip the entire month of november and hunt december twice because i don't know why and i i can't figure it out but i have just struggled in the month of november even though yeah i killed my biggest buck in michigan on november 15th you know right in the heart of the month but i struggle killing bucks with my bow in november i just Mm. can't can't put it together i can get on them i can see them but it's just the, the craziness of the rut and the pressure, you know, this, this pressure spikes that we get with gun season coming in. And, you know, a lot of this just, you know, like I say, I'm not afraid to push it on deer. I think maybe a month doing that might not help my cause either. But, yeah, I would skip November entirely. Wow, okay. All right. Well, if you had to pick one single day, what's your, what's your like, your day? Like, I'm going to be in the woods. Mm, that's tough. Um it's gonna be, it's gonna be right there in that late November, or late October window. I would say it's, 
it's going to be like the 28th just because that's what I killed killed on this year or the 31st. You know, either one of those days. Yeah. It's, I, it's not going to be November. <laughs> I yeah. can tell you that. My That's like mine. I The 25th of October, I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to – I'll be in the woods that day. I don't know what – I've seen deer on October 25th for the past like five years. When we were in Wisconsin, I saw two bucks both – that would have scored over 140 on public land on the 25th. And it's just yep. and they're on their feet. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of November either. I'm right there with you. I, we are fortunate enough to be able to hunt Illinois. I think that last week of December into that first week of January, if you do the work in the off season, you put in your, your late season food plots after that rut, those deer, they have to eat. They have to. Oh, yeah. It's, I, I don't want to say it's easy, but it is easy to kill a mature buck if you are able to hunt that late. Mm-hmm. Yep, I absolutely agree. So, Wade, what, what's kind of playing into your strategy? Is it wind, moon phases? What's your take on all that when figuring out during those times of when you're going to make sure you're out in the stand and what stand to hunt? Um, well, I can answer the moon phase thing. I couldn't tell you... Um, what the moon phase is at any point in the season. It's, not <laughs> um, it's 100% going to be wind. Um, and I kind of have, you know, the philosophy, I don't do scent control at all. I, I don't think you can beat a deer. Um, I believe in having clean clothes. So, you know, either the ozone bags or just washing your clothes and letting them air dry. Yeah. Um, I think that helps just to keep the ground set to a minimum when you're walking in and out but as far as you know a buck getting downwind i'm definitely i don't think you can beat him and if you do beat him it's because he doesn't care Hmm. um so when i strategize a hunt it's it's the wind you know and, and it's it's definitely what is the deer going to do on the wind more so than if that deer's in there and he's to my west and i have a west wind i'm perfect right well i don't think that deer is going to walk past you from where he's at so i'm always thinking you know if a deer is bedding in one spot and he uses anything out of the east to walk to like a food source what angle can i get on to have that off angle wind and have him still feel comfortable to walk past me so that's my 100 percent number one strategy is to is to think about how that deer will use the wind that he has yeah I, i'm right there with you like i the thing is like we use nose jammer, and I, I love nose jammer simply because I think it could give you that extra three seconds or five seconds, and that's that's all you need. But there is one thing I don't I don't care if it's ozonics or what, but if a deer is downwind, a mature buck, he knows you're there. Yep. He knows you're there. Yep. You can't be. I mean, I'll eat I'll eat a McGriddle on my way out to the stand for all I you know. It's. Jake, you've you've witnessed that. We stopped and got McDonald's how many times and I'm in all my camouflage and yours is in the back. And that's why you're part of the other Nimrod burn of not shooting that one fifty plus buck. <laughs> that could be. But oh pretty cool note uh, side note here. Uh, I so I know you used to do a little bit of filming and I don't do you still do a little bit of filming, Wade? No. No, no I don't. Dropped it all. And that's why you're I did. that's why you're killing big deer that. though. Yeah, I had a, I had the camera save the life of a 187 in Michigan, so I kind of lost my case for it. 
Yeah, I would. I'd set the camera down too if I lost to 187. <laughs> I would like to hear more about that if you don't mind. Can we bring back that yeah. bad memory from you, Wade? Yeah, this won't hurt my soul at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this deer, this deer, I I first got pictures of him um, the fall after my dad passed away, and he always had this this nickname of calling himself Bubba, like. You know, I don't know why, but that's what he would call himself. He'd call himself Bubba. So the first shooter I get on camera, I'm like, well, that deer's Bubba. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's the deer dad sent. So I this when I talk about this deer, you know, this, this thing taught me more about hunting big deer than any other deer I've ever had a chance to hunt combined. And the first pictures I got of him were as a three-year-old, um, probably a deer pushing 140 as a three-year-old, just a, just a great great deer and i actually had killed killed a 131 with my bow october 23rd that year Hmm. and um the let's see two or three days later um the same spot i actually killed my 159 in michigan he comes walking by me and my brother hadn't killed a buck yet and for some reason i felt guilty and i didn't want to kill this deer so i was like you know i'm gonna let him go because I think we can still do better out here. And and he got the pass for me. And then the next year he comes back. And the first time I saw him, I was over the shoulder of my brother Jeremy, October 10th, fighting, full-out fighting a two-year-old buck. And we didn't really know what it was because of all the foliage. And, you know, he's like 70 yards away through some timber. He picks his head up, and this is the first time I had seen him in a year. And it's just like, holy crap that deer's big (laughs) so we watched him push this buck off and then make a scrape line and he he just probably made 10 or 12 scrapes as he got out of sight on october 10th in the afternoon just stupid for this deer to be walking broad daylight on october 10th so immediately he became number one you know he's the only thing in my life that matters i don't care about anything else i have to kill this deer yeah so I hunt him and hunt him and hunt him. I don't see him. Finally, December 1st, it was 45 degrees out, pouring rain. My buddy Nick texts me. He goes, hey, I'll go out in the morning and sit with you if you want a cameraman. But yeah, dude, let's go. I wasn't going to hunt. You know, it's December 1st and it's raining. It's, you know, just gun season just rolled out. It's too warm. Nothing about this is right. Hmm. We go out and sit and... I'm not uh, <laughs> right after daylight. We look up and here he comes and he's walking right at us. And he gets to like 60 yards and the wind swirls and he busts. Okay. Not a big deal. He's still alive. He made it through gun season. It's on, you know, and I have like the best December farm that I know of in Michigan. And so I play cat and mouse with this deer in December. I'm, I'm sitting like 22 days in a row trying to kill this buck. I lost 20 pounds sitting dark to dark in December, just stressing, you know, having deer anxiety, trying to kill this buck. So I ended up seeing him. I saw him 14 times in one month, believe it or not. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I had my bow only, you know. I had him at 70 yards in muzzleloader season. I had him on a Spartan trail camera, you know, the, the, the cell cams, yep. texting your pictures when I'm in the wrong stand. Um, <laughs> just, just, I mean, gut shot after gut shot with this deer. And I, I know one morning 
uh, Christmas morning, actually. I'm sitting at my mom's house, and we're doing, you know, Christmas presents, and cell, cell cam goes off, 11 a.m. Christmas morning, there he is. You know, just this deer was like the weirdest deer ever. So he ends up making it. I don't kill him as a four-year-old. Um, find both of his sheds. Uh, actually, um, we found one. Um, my, my buddy Nick that was filming me that morning actually is the one that walked up on it. And then one of my really good friends, Gary Gillette, um, had the other side. And that's kind of how Gary and I actually became friends was over this deer. Hmm. So we got these jets together, scored them. We gave him a 15-inch spread. And with a 15-inch spread, he, he grossed 161. As a four-year-old. Yep. So, he, so we come back to the next year. And, you know, now he's a five-year-old and he's, he's the only thing I want to do with my life is to hunt this deer. So finally we get the first picture of him on that same scrape line, um, like November 5th. And that's the first time we had, first time we saw him all season, no pictures, no sightings, nothing. He, boom, there he is. And, you know, he's standing there in all his glory on this scrape line on that same cell cam. Um, you know, right after dark. And I had just left from there, you know, 20 minutes before that. Mm. So, okay, well, it's on. We're, you know, time to stress over this deer again. So, <laughs> so a couple days later, I had the right wind to get back into that spot. I'm sitting above that scrape line, and this was standing corn that year um, with, like, a small cedar patch behind me um, and then a big swamp, um, kind of to the southwest and he liked to work the edge of like that cedar thicket making these scrapes along the edge of that the egg field and so i knew that there was a double wide row in the standing corn that i could sneak down and get in you know get in quiet and safe and so i took that path and right at my stand i knocked down some corn to get the rest of the way to the tree and i was sitting right on the edge of the corn and I had done, I had knocked on that corn a few days prior. So when I walked back in there to hunt him that night, after we got the pictures and the wind was right, I get to that spot to where I knocked the corn down and it's just like a highway coming around that corner and taking that double wide path to the South. I'm like, wow, that's, you know, kind of sucks that they're using my path to get in here, but whatever. I climb up the tree and this is, this is the same tree that I had him at 70 yards the year before, you know, in the, in the standing corn or the pit corn in December, I'm back in this tree again, it's a tendency thing. Here we go again. And right at last light, I can hear antlers coming through the corn, you know, that distinctive sound that, you know, is a corn. And so I put my camera right on this, this corner and I know it's, it's going to be, he's going to step in the frame and I'm going to shoot him. And I draw back. And he's right there, and he hits that spot where it turns and goes to my stand. And I think that was the first time he had done that since I had knocked the corn down in, in three days. And he turned, and he put his rack right at me, and he's 12 yards away. And I am just, I'm a wreck in this tree, you know. I'm like, one more step, you're done, you know. And I knew I could have killed him where he was at, but he wasn't in a camera yet. He had to get to this 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 lane for me to shoot and have him be on oh. camera and my mentality at the time was yeah i'm really dedicated to this and the, the camera had saved his life you know as a four-year-old i'm not gonna not gonna shoot him off camera because i'm dedicated to it 
Yeah. So he gives me about five seconds, oh. and he busts out of there. You know, I never saw him after that for for like a week and a half. And the morning of the 14th of November, um, I'm sitting the stand that I had saw him on December 1st the year before. I'm sitting right in that area, and I can watch a flashlight on the neighbors zigzag its way through and sit, you know, right to the back of their property. And I'm not 150 yards away, and, you know, that hunter was fortunate enough to kill him that morning. I was right there, you know, so it... It was pretty, pretty hard to take, you know, to, to that deer, for that deer to be killed by somebody else. Yeah. Wow. So Dang. that deer, that deer really taught me, you know, I have, his shots are in my living room right now. I, I look at him all the time. He's the favorite, my favorite deer I've ever hunted by a long shot. That's awesome. And that, that's like, I, I think I'm becoming a better hunter because I've hunted the same deer for going on four years now. The Stanley. Yep. And once you have that mindset of that one, everyone's like, you need to focus on other deer. Don't don't get stuck. But I think truly like a really, really good hunter always has that one deer that changes his mind on the way he used to hunt. And, yep. you know, for, for you, it's this Bubba. And for me, it was, it's Stanley. He's, gosh, now he's probably like an eight and a half year old deer. And who knows if he's going to be alive. Yep. But. That's, wow. that's that's crazy. That deer, that deer is a reason, you know, that I became a mobile hunter um, because I was pigeonholing myself to hunting spots that you know he kind of knew about, and and you know if I could have just pushed that one more ridge top, you know, I I always always have that in the back of my mind, like I would have him on my wall, but unfortunately I don't, and uh, I have just the knowledge of how to kill the next one. I I feel so. Yeah. Dang, that's crazy. So speaking of like mobile hunting, have you ever, so Jake and I are really considering uh, tree saddles. Have you had any experience with that? I have very limited experience. Um, my my biggest thing is that strap being right in your way, it, it feels to me. I, I struggle enough with target panic that the last thing I need is, is one more thing to think about. So I don't think a saddle is for me. I, my, my biggest thing about it is it's really hard to shoot to your right. Yeah. If, if you're a right-handed shooter, whereas a tree stand, you can turn around relatively easy, but a saddle, you know, you kind of have to work around the backside of the tree to shoot. And that, that I feel kind of, that kind of scares me and, yeah. and makes me, hesitant i see the advantages of it you can hunt any tree you want and you have to pack in so little which is awesome but you know there's there's pros and cons to it i certainly see both sides of the story yeah but wait wait if you like actually like harnessed one up or had a buddy who had one and got up in one and shot it all or goofed around with it um my my cousin was one of the first people i know probably 10 years ago to have one and um I got it his one time, and I mean it's comfortable and it's nice. It's just that I don't know. I'm just really stuck in my ways of being a, a, a hang on tree stand guy, I guess. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because I I have it. Jordan, have you gotten in one yet? Uh, I put one on. I've never been up in a tree in one. So Stetson Hodgkin had one. He was one of the first people I ever knew that had one. Probably, gosh, it has to be ten years ago. 
at least. And he had one, and then he didn't hunt out of it a whole lot. And now that he's an arborist, I mean, dude, he he doesn't even take sticks. He has, like, these spikes. He, he runs up trees and is set up in probably three minutes ready to kill a deer, which is, to me, it's just like, oh, my gosh, I'd love to have that ability. But I've heard that this new tethered mantis thing is some guys – Everyone's going to have their own, like, opinions, and they say that you have to get into so-called saddle shape, but they're they're saying that this thing is as comfortable, if not more comfortable, than most tree stands. So I, I would definitely believe in their comfort. I mean, you're like in a hammock in a tree. <laughs> yeah. Do you use a lone wolf hang on, or what's your... Um, I'm a muddy guy. I... I I really like the muddy bandage. Um, I like being able to hang the bracket first just because I feel like I can do it safer. I feel like I can do it faster. And when I, you know, ratchet that bracket down, I know that's where my stand is going to sit. It, it doesn't have any of that slippage, you know, that you'll get with some strap on or, or, or it's rope on. And I do have some of the blood sports as well. Um, but I think the muddy sticks and a bandage are the number one stand in my opinion. Okay. That's good to know. I've, I've never even, I've never sat in the Vantage. Um, when we hunt in Illinois, I, I'm usually carrying in some cheap lock-on, and I try to find the lightest thing I can. I've never even bit the bullet on a lone wolf. Jake owns a lone wolf in sticks, and the thing is freaking awesome. Like, I love yep. it. But, man, there's just something about that, like that price point. is just dry, dry, <laughs> dropping that amount of money. Jordan, <laughs> This year we hung, we like, we were going to kill a doe. We were going to get video a doe kill. And yeah, I had the camera, you had your bow. We both went out, you brought your hang on. I don't even remember the brand. And I had my lone wolf. We set them up, you know, we're on opposite sides of the tree. We're all geeks. We don't see a deer. It's the first time, I think all year, we never saw a single deer out there. Yeah. And then I think we left our setup there. And I was going to, I pulled it out of the tree like a week later for you or something. I was appalled how heavy I like, I'm so, I know I'm so spoiled because I, I bit the bullet and bought that lone wolf, but the aluminum sticks, the aluminum stand, I mean, that thing just, it, it's a still a bulky thing to throw on your back, carry in and stuff. But like, man, when I was on public land in Ohio and stuff, it was a, it really was a game changer because I could cover so much more ground and I'm definitely not, I don't know what, I don't know what saddle shape means, but I, I'm definitely not in hang on drag the stand in shape i'm like sweating my, uh sweating like a pig going in so that extra weight savings is huge for me for sure you won't be falling yep. face first into water either <laughs> that happened too i did uh i did pretty much belly flop in the swamp in the last day got all the duck pulled all my crap out of the out of the wet stuff t- took my gloves off like borderline like gronkowski spiked my glove i was i was pissed off <laughs> On my way out, had to leave early, and then, no joke, a parade of deer start coming out, and they have no idea I'm there. I've never had experience like that. Ten yards, one doe, two doe, three doe, four doe. Behind them is one of our hitless bucks, like a 130-inch deer, and two other little bucks. I'm just standing there with my bow on the ground. They're 25 yards away. I don't know what happened. I like, you know, my belly flop kicked them up or what, but I mean, that this is, I guess, a little side story of why it's called Nimrod's Podcast. Like, I've had blunder after blunder out there. Um, it's good to hear from guys like Wade to know what they're doing. <laughs> so, it's a gift. 
That is so true. Jake and I, so a little backstory on this, Wade. So we bought this property, and I'm not kidding you. We we pushed into places that we should never have touched this year, but it was our first year, so we wanted to go see where they were moving and just build a strategy. And we were going into the best areas in early October just to try to find out where these deer are moving, how they're moving. And 99% of our property is it's wet. So just, it's, yeah, it's rough to get into. So working on access, things like that. But Well, wait, I mean, you have a ton of great stories even already. Uh, I, I love listening to these, even though some were heartbreaking and then some were a victory. But what is your most memorable hunt to, to date? And it doesn't have to be whitetail. What's your most memorable hunt overall? Um, and that's tough. I would, I have a few, I know that like the turkey hunt with Julia last year, that was pretty special. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I would say that the same year, um, I killed, um, a one thirty one eleven point in Michigan. Um, I was able to kind of strategize, ended up half-heartedly mobile hunting that year. Um, <laughs> and, and killed him the first time um, I had set this new spot to try to kill him. Well, that was pretty cool. Um, and then I would say my favorite one was uh, two weeks after that. Um, I was hunting with my dad, and neither of us had saw a deer at 9.30 in the morning. This was November 6th, and neither of us had saw a deer at 9.30. By 11.30... I had saw, I'm pretty sure it was 24 or 25 deer and six different bucks. I had put an arrow through a 140-inch 10-point, and my dad put an arrow through a 146-inch 10-point at 11 o'clock, two minutes apart, on opposite ends of the same farm. And so I climbed down. I go back. I help him get his deer out. It's, you know, this absolutely stud deer. Um Great route tines, great tine lengths, just everything you could ask, 146-inch clean tent, just great buck. And, you know, we were just so pumped for each other. And I had hit my deer, you know, back in, like, the center punch liver type of shot. Mm -hmm. And for, you know, for some reason, I can't explain to you why, we set off after this track on this buck that, you know, at four o'clock. So we've given them five hours and it's kind of starting to be that prime time afternoon, you know, in November, but we're following blood and we don't have a bow with us. Dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. (laughs) I pop up over top of this hill and there, there he is, you know, he's dead right there. He's 20 yards in front of me. I turn around, I start jumping up and down. Uh, My cousin Anthony is with us and all of a sudden he picks his head up. And he's looking straight away from me. And here I am. I'm 15, 20 yards away from him without a bow in my hand. He's alive. Oh. And he has no idea that I'm there. He ends up, I drop to the ground. My, my, you know, like my cousin's behind me coming up the hill. And I'm, I'm the first one up. And the deer stands up and slowly walks off and drops over top of the next hill. It's a pretty hilly area. And drops off the next hill. Like I watch his antler tips drop behold, drop below the hill. And I run like... Usain Bolt, fastest I've ever ran in my life, back to the four-wheeler, get a bow, creep up over top of that next hill, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna kill him right here, and 
never saw a trace of that deer again. You know, it was like the highest of highs of one of my favorite hunts ever. You know, it's a pretty low, but I mean, just being able to have, you know, that memory of that hunt and, and dad killing that great deer, that's probably the best hunt of my life. Wow. It's, you know, as, as, as crazy as that is, hitting a deer, not getting it. But, you know, that's just one of my favorite hunting memories of all time. That's, that's pretty awesome. Emotional roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. I have a lot of stories. I have a lot more stories than I do whitetails on the wall. <laughs> that being said, how many how many Pope and Young Michigan deer? Um, I've got five that would be Pope and Young. That's so, solid. not not a lot. I've shot at a lot more than that, but like I said, that's pretty crazy. All that's right, five more than. All right, so Wade, probably the most important question that we ask all of our guys on this podcast. Okay. Okay. When okay. You, when you pee, <laughs> do you pull it through the little flap in your underwear, or do you pull the underwear down in the front? <laughs> we, oh, oh, so do you unbuckle your pants and like unzip, or do you just unzip, leave your belt buckled and stuff, and use the flap in the underwear? so that's so i don't unbuckle but i'm uh through the whole guy what wow wade we're kindred spirits man you're a way better hunter than me but i don't know i don't know why you would drop them there's no reason yeah you know much work right yep and then stuff falls out of your pockets on the bathroom floor you don't want any of that As you can see, we have some opposing views here. I think it's I think it's going to be like a 50-50 split. Well, it's not right now. We, we've pulled, like, uh, the, the population size of our sample is not adequate enough right now. There's way too many guys saying they pull their pants down, like, which is appalling to me. But uh, I think we got, like, three or four of us that... That we can chalk up to saying they're they're zipper guys, and then the other guys we got probably seven or eight that are saying they pull their pants down. I mean, they, they put them there for a reason, right? <laughs> they're yeah. air breathers. They help air it out. <laughs> no more for Munda cheese. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, wait. I got I got one quick qu- last question for me. Okay. Uh, so we're all we got we're all like we all have the sickness, right? We're thinking about these guys year round. Um, at bucks, you know, on your list, trying to figure out if they survived, all that kind of stuff. We're in the off season. What, what's your, what are you doing this week, next couple weeks? That's getting you closer to killing the buck in the fall. Um, let's see. Next couple weeks, I'm gonna say. I mean, besides putting in a new kitchen floor, so Julia will let me go. <laughs> That's huge. That's real. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, obviously now it's, it's shed hunting. I don't really do any food plotting in Michigan just because everything I hunt is agriculture. So, you know, there's not really any ability to do it because all the open ground is, is farmed. So I would say now would be shed hunting and just, just scouting for bedding. And, um, obviously the runways that you can see now is the best time of year to walk through the woods. Gotcha. All right. So I'm going to ask you one last question. Uh, well, two real quick. First, what's the one piece of gear that you will never leave and go on a hunt without? Not You can't say your release or your bow or whatever, but that one thing that you always go. And then the last question that we'll have is what would you tell your younger self about hunting? 
Oh, um, I would say the most important thing that I take with me as of, as of lately definitely be a grunt tube. I have grunted in every buck I've shot at in the last, you know, last five or six bucks, I would say. I've grunted all of them in. And you told me, um, you, you sent me, you use the, that extinguisher, right? Yep, yep, I do. Okay. And how aggressive are you with it? Are you only when you see him? Or are you kind of... I do not blind grunt, like okay. hardly ever. I am I am definitely soft grunts when I see them. When they're looking at me, I'm waiting for them to look away. As soon as they look away, hit them again. And then, you know, if they're not responding in, in two to three to come right in, I'll let them go. Pretty good chance they're going to circle around. If not, it's not meant to be. You're not going to grunt that deer. He doesn't have the personality to grunt him in. So... Like we Signer's nickname in Illinois with everybody, her name's Gigi because we call her the grunting girl <laughs> because she came back to the lodge one night and was just so pumped that she grunted in this deer. And we're like, all right, we'll bring out, show us show us on video. And she pulls it out and it's like a little fork horn. <laughs> no, well, let's <laughs> preface there. I've actually never been allowed to take out a grunt call because I'm not the most talented grunter in the world. So they actually never have let me go out with one. So I, I, I talked them into it and I finally grunted in my first massive buck. It was this little fork horn. Hey, you got to start somewhere. Exactly. So, I only got up, up to go awesome. from here. So, all right. So what would you tell your younger self? Last question. Younger self, um, I think it's going to go back to, you know, be a mobile hunter and, uh, you know, pay attention to the wind and, and, and don't hunt the winds that are good for you. Hunt the winds that are good for the deer and do it with a mobile setup. That's definitely what's played into me, um, being successful lately and getting on bucks and, you know, pretty much what has saved the life of bucks at 80 yards, you know, quite often. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, all right man well i appreciate you coming on i'm sure jake does too and cassandra um i'm sure we'll, we'll probably have you back on again because i want to pick your brain more on some of these out-of-state things and um just talk to you about acquiring land and stuff like that and permission to hunt on you know how, how you go about that and things like that so we'll have to get you back on sometime but uh yeah man thanks for coming on yeah, thank you guys. Nice talking to you. No right. way. I love the value that you brought, and you have some great stories. I think we might have to bring you on for a part two. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Appreciate it. All right. Yep. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks again for coming on, Wade. We had a blast chatting with you. Uh, we're definitely going to be getting a hold of you in the future and talking out-of-state hunts and how guys from Michigan can get out and experience something new. Um, we let definitely like to to dig a little deeper into that. So if this sounds like you guys and you want to come on to the Nimrod podcast, go over to riskyoutdoors.com, contact link, shoot us a little message about you, a little bio. Um, we'd love to chat with you guys. We like talking Michigan deer with Michigan deer hunters. So as always, stay stealthy and continue to strive to become a Nimrod.